Welcome to our summer study on Jonah. We're excited to have you join us, and we're excited about a study guide we are using. The Women's Ministry Teaching Team is always looking for ways for, to help all of us grow our skills at studying God's Word. The study guide we are using for this study is from the Focused 15 series by Katie and Chris Orr. FOCUS is an acronym that stands for Foundation, Observation, Clarification, Utilization, and Summation. And the 15 stands for the suggested amount of time to complete the homework. I hope none of that sounds overwhelming. I promise you'll get the hang of it. Just hang with us. Let's look through our study guides and walk through how to use them. Day one is Foundation. Here you're going to look at the passage for the week. Then you have some options. You can write out each of the verses by hand, or you can summarize the events. Day two is observation. Here you're going to gather some simple facts. There will be headers to help you determine which facts to gather. Day three is clarification. We are going to learn some Hebrew. At least we're going to get to know the meaning of some of the Hebrew words. Please don't feel intimidated. (laughs) You can do it. I have confidence in you. It can be very enlightening to learn what these words mean in the original language in which they were written. So we're going to figure that out. Day four is utilization. This is the day we look at other places in the Bible where these words or concepts appear. Day five is summation. This is where we say, so what? What does this passage have to do with me? You will have the opportunity to reflect on the passage and what God is saying to you or what he wants you to learn from this passage. There are some bonus study days in the points to ponder section, but please don't feel the pressure to complete them, but they are pretty cool if you want to look into them. After the points to ponder, there is the cheat sheet. I think I just heard a huge sigh of relief. I know you may be tempted to jump to that for some of the answers for the week, but I strongly encourage you to use those as little as possible or use them as just a way to make sure you're on the right track. You can do this. If you get stumped, Save it for your discussion group time and talk as a group about it. Now let's talk about some tools you may want to get for your study. You will need a Bible or a good Bible app. If you need to help finding one, ask your DGL. The author of our study is Katie Orr. She suggests a Hebrew interlinear Bible and Hebrew lexicon. Whatever those are, right? (laughs) There is an app called Bible Hub. You can download it onto your phone or access it onto your computer. Katie Orr uses this app and suggests it to use for this study. It can be found on her resource page at katieorr.me. She also has videos that show how to use the app. There is a link to join the Bible Hub that you can use as well on her resource page. The appendix in the back of the study guide has some great information. I encourage you to check it out. I think that is all the info about the study guide that I wanted to share. Now let's get into the study. Jonah was a minor prophet as opposed to a major prophet. The difference between major and minor prophets has nothing to do with the person, but refers to the length of their books. The term also does not reflect on the significance of the material. The minor prophets of the Bible are shorter books with more specific content compared to the subjects of the major prophets. One thing all of these books have in common is that they are the least popular for Christians to study or read. This is the most likely due to the difficult or unusual prophetic language that is used in these books. 
There are constant warnings to God's people going astray or what will happen to those who choose to reject God. However, there is valuable truth to be gleaned from each book. These books also give us some of the best glimpses and foreshadowings of Christ that we see in the entire Old Testament. To give an idea of the size difference between these sections of Scripture, the five books of the major prophets include 183 chapters. The 12 books of the minor prophets only have 67 chapters. So what is a prophet? The Hebrew word is nabi, which is derived from the verb action to bubble forth, like a fountain. Our English word for prophet comes from the Greek prophetes, which it means to speak for another, especially one who speaks for a god. There were four major prophets and 12 minor prophets, all of which spoke the truth that came from God. They spoke authoritatively on God's behalf. They never spoke on their own authority, nor did they ever give their personal opinions. Their role was to make God's will known, as well as his holiness, and to instruct God's people to reject idolatry and sin. Our last study was on the books of First and Second Peter. Second Peter 1, 20-21 referred to prophets, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no one has, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There were also women prophets. Moses' sister Miriam was a prophet as noted in Exodus. Deborah is listed as a prophet in Judges, and in 2 Kings, Huldah is named as a prophet. Now let's look at Jonah. Who was he? Jonah is Hebrew for dove. He was the son of Amitihi, of the tribe of Zebulun, he was born in Gath, Hefer, probably in the ninth century. He lived in Galilee during the reign of Israel's King Jeroboam II, who was one of Israel's really bad kings. Because of his accurate and favorable prophecies, Jonah was very popular in Israel. Most scholars date the book of Jonah between 800 and 750 BC, but really there's nothing that leads to a definitive date, and the author is anonymous. This is a book about Jonah, not written by Jonah. Nowhere is the author's identity given. Also interesting is that this is not about the words of God told by the prophet, but more about the prophet. The book of Jonah has all the marks of a prophetic narrative, which is a story with historical events intertwined with a message from God. Jonah was a prophet, but his little book is not a prophecy. That is, there is no prophecy recorded in it. It is instead a personal account of a major event in the life of Jonah. So let's start by reading verses 1 through 6. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he set, paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break apart. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. 
Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now let's go deeper. In verse 1, the first word, now, is an unusual way to start. It leads us to believe there was something before this. About 14 Old Testament books begin with and, which means they obviously connect with books preceding them. We have no way of knowing what book Jonah may be connected to, but the word now leads us to believe there is some connection. The phrase, the word of the Lord came to, occurs over a hundred times in the Old Testament. For this entry, we have no context. We don't know how Jonah received God's word, and we don't know when, both of which usually appear in prophetic books. The mention of Amitehi, his father, gives validity to the existence of Jonah, as it was important to record the person's father's name. The precise reasons for providing Nineveh and not any other city with the opportunity for repentance are never given. Extensive sections of the prophetic books are devoted to the condemnation of sinful nations, but Jonah is sent only to Nineveh. Verse 2, Nineveh was on the east bank of the Tigris River, about 220 miles north of present-day Baghdad, and over 500 miles northeast of Israel. It was about 1,800 acres and across from the modern city of Mosul. Tarshish has an unknown location. Nineveh was indeed a great city whose history stretched back as far as Nimrod, who built it, as well as Babel, and several other cities in Mesopotamia. We studied these events when we studied Genesis. As you are reading, notice the term great. It is mentioned several times in this short book. Tarshish was the name of a great-grandson of Noah. In the Old Testament, Tarshish describes both the descendants of this man and the territory where they settled. The territory was evidently a long distance from Israel and on the Atlantic coast of the southwest Spain. Since the Hebrew word Tarshishu means smelting place or refinery, the Jews referred to several such places on the Mediterranean coast by the name Tarshish. Just like towns along our coast are named Portland, Portland, Maine, Portland, Oregon, it is probably impossible to locate the exact spot Jonah was supposed to visit. Notice the phrase, from the presence of the Lord, is mentioned twice in this one verse. It is obvious that fleeing from God was Jonah's objective. Specifically, it was God's influence over him. He probably knew that he could not remove himself from the literal presence of the omnipresent God. Notice Tarshish is also mentioned twice. This structure stresses the fact that Jonah defiantly rejected God's call. We learn three things from these three verses, who Jonah was, what God wanted him to do, and what Jonah's response was. We are also introduced to the situation around which the story revolves, Jonah's unwillingness to carry out a direct order from God. Jonah finds this order repulsive. So when have you done the exact opposite of what God told you to do? I can think of a few specific situations in my life where I have turned like Jonah and turned the other way and did what I wanted to do. I'm sure you can imagine how that turned out. (laughs) Thankfully, I wasn't vomited out of a big fish. Anyone else familiar with my scenario? What if other people in the Bible did not do what God told them? What if Moses didn't lead? What if David had killed Saul when he had the chance? What if Paul hadn't repented and continued to persecute Christians? What if Jesus had not accepted his father's will to be crucified? In verse 4, we find Jonah at sea. 
When Jonah launched out on the sea, he subjected himself to dangers that the Israelites and other ancient people viewed as directly under God's control. The sea represented an area that was beyond the control of the people. It was scary and daunting. Jonah was desperate to get away from where he thought God might come after him. Nevertheless, God used the wind to bring this prodigal prophet to the place he wanted him to be. It was gracious of God to seek out his disobedient servant and not to allow him to remain long in his sin. God is like that with us as well. Again, I have felt God's working in my life to bring me to the place where he wanted me to be. Have you experienced that? Have you ever felt restless or uncomfortable when you know you are involved in sinful activity or attitudes? How long did it take you to turn back to him? God can be relentless in his pursuit for you, just as any father would be when they see their child going down the wrong path. In verse 5, the sailors who were of mixed religious backgrounds are first mentioned. Some of them are probably Phoenicians, since Phoenicians were commonly seafaring traders. Phoenicia was a center of Baal worship. Baal was a god that the people thought was lord and master over all of nature and humans. The sailors' willingness to throw their cargo into the sea illustrates the extreme danger they faced. Jonah's ability to sleep under such conditions seems very unusual. The events that follow could have happened even if he had been wide awake. What does seem unusual is his attitude of careless self-security. He seems to have preferred death to facing God alive. Not only did he flee away from where God told him to go, but he also fled to the innermost part of the ship. Verse 6, the presumably pagan sea captain, (laughs) reminds Jonah of his duty. The words the captain used are the same as the ones God had used. Arise. Jonah should have been praying instead of sleeping in view of the imminent danger that he and the others faced. The normal reaction to danger, even among pagans, is to seek divine intervention. But this is precisely what Jonah wanted to avoid. Jonah did not care if he died. It is well known how often sin encourages stupid thinking. What a shame that the prophet of God had to be called to pray by a captain that probably did not believe in God. God did what the captain hoped he would do. He is the only true God, and he does show concern for people. This demonstration of God's concern for people in danger is one of the great themes of this book. God showed compassion for the Ninevites and later for Jonah, but Jonah showed little compassion for the Ninevites, for these sailors, or even for himself. The primary theme throughout the book of Jonah is that God's compassion is boundless, not limited to just us, but also available for them, the ones we often overlook or may find undesirable. The first few verses of the story show the lack of compassion that characterized Jonah, but God is compassionate, as we see throughout the book. Not only was Jonah fleeing from God's presence, but he was also displaying a character trait that was opposite to God's. We have an historical record of Jonah in the Old Testament, and we also have one in the New Testament, given by the greatest authority who has ever lived on this earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. He personally gave authenticity to the historical character of Jonah and to his experience in the fish. We read in Luke 11.30, For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Then in Matthew 12.39-41, But he answered them, 
An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The moment we question the historical record of the book of Jonah, we question the credibility of Jesus. It would be very strange to hear someone say, Jesus was the greatest teacher that ever lived, but then not believe the story of Jonah. One of the marks of a great teacher is that he teaches with accuracy and truth. If Jesus is a great teacher, then his reference to the book of Jonah confirms the book and the story of Jonah is real and true. It is not just a cool Sunday school flannel board story to tell the children, but it is a book of a prophet fleeing from a God and an assignment that he does not want. See you next week as we dive deeper into the story of Jonah. 